Hello. Welcome and thank you for joining us and listening to our podcast, The God Beyond the Bible. Our podcast is released weekly each Friday. The content of each episode is based on the questions and curiosities we all have about God and the Bible. Many of our topics are considered taboo in the minds of the mainstream church. You will find our discussions to be, I think, refreshing and often far from traditional. But we don't just skirt around these complex issues, but confront them head on, and not in the way you're used to hearing them discussed on typical Christian talk shows. I'm Alan Rowland, creator and host of The God Beyond the Bible. As of the launch of this podcast, I've been a pastor for more than 35 years. My co-host is my daughter, Trayson, and our engineer, co-producer, is my daughter, Tabitha. Our mission is to encourage our audience, along with us, to open our minds to the reality that God is simply too big to be fully explored or experienced by the reading and studying of a single ancient work. In short, the Bible's not the sum of God, and to think this is to limit what He has done, is doing, and what He will do in our future. So with introductions made, thank you for listening, and let's dive into the topic of the day. And welcome, Seekers, to episode number 107 of God Beyond the Bible, the podcast made by Seekers and for Seekers. And this is our fourth episode dedicated to the topic of what happens when we die. We're basing our theory of what happens when we die on the compiled testimonies of thousands of people who have died, experienced the afterlife, and returned. But before we continue, I have a couple of shout outs to Langford and Tatiana. We are glad to have you guys on board. Great. Great that y'all are listening. And our quote this week is from Dolores Cannon. She said, it has been said that once the mind has been expanded by an idea or concept, it can never return to its original way of thinking. I love that. That is good. Well, let's take a moment to get up to speed in the episodes leading up to this one, using the patterns observed in the testimonies of those who have experienced death. We have sort of mapped out a series of events that we might expect to occur when we die. And you're encouraged to go back and listen to all of this month's episodes, if necessary, in order to know where we are in our progression of events concerning the death experience. In a quick overview, we have died... For the fourth time. (laughs) Yes. We consciously hovered near the place we died for an unspecified amount of time. We're usually met by deceased loved ones or sometimes an angelic being to guide us on our journey. There's usually a light that we are attracted towards, and that light leads us into a tunnel or vortex that upon exiting, we experience past loved ones and sometimes even childhood pets. We again spend an unspecified amount of time just taking in the vibrant beauty of our surroundings that seem to vary with different people. Somewhere about this point, the majority of the testimonies tell us that they find themselves in a full life review. And the life review might be what some would call final judgment, but we associate a lot of negativity with that event. And again, it's especially strong in the Christian religion. No one wants to talk about final judgment. Right. And we've discovered that contrary to what many teach and believe, we do not appear before an angry God sitting on a throne where we are shamed and humiliated for every sin that we committed on earth. The evidence actually indicates, and we're basing this on the testimonies of those who have gone through the life review. The evidence indicates that in most cases, a being that is perceived as God is not present at the life review though often there is a supernatural being present to comfort us through this difficult phase. It also indicates that, you know, most say it's like watching a movie or a review of our life, not just the bad, but also the good experiences we've had. 
Others say that it's almost like a download where we relive each experience, but almost like it is all at once or simultaneous. And also the evidence indicates that it is our interaction and the way in the way that we have treated other people that is the focus of this review. In fact, most say that the emotional roles are reversed. That is that the person in the life review experiences the emotions of the people they've interacted with and impacted, whether it was in a positive or negative way. And this is an exceptionally difficult experience for those who have lived their lives as bullies or who have lived a narcissistic life where others are considered mere objects to manipulate and use for their own gain. Now, for many, the life review also changed the way they think of the natural world. They become aware of the impact that man's activities have on this planet. This life review is the event that changes their whole approach and perspective on life itself when they return to this realm. Mm Mm-hmm. As we think about the prospect of a life review, especially getting to feel the emotional damage that we have done to our fellow human beings, shouldn't this be a reason to treat our fellow man with more respect and dignity? Wouldn't it be great if this were what we were learning from our religious influences, the fact that we will relive every encounter with another human being and experience the emotions that they felt in that encounter? I think Jesus even said not one word. Not one I will go undotted, not one T, mm-hmm. and, and we'll give account for every spoken word. Yes. It doesn't mean, you know, we, oh, that's judgment. We're going, every bad thing and not the good, no, everything, everything. What number am I? Six. Six. Okay. So this life review is supported by the New Testament writer, Paul, when he wrote in the Corinthian letter that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of the things we have done in this life, whether they be good or bad. Of course, this and other passages about a great white throne judgment is where we get the idea that this is to determine our eternal destiny. But no one who's died and returned ever speaks of this type of judgment event, only the life review. And this might be a good place to point out that during the life review, those who have experienced it say that we are actually judging ourselves. And it's painful because we are the toughest judge when it comes to our actions and behaviors. Perhaps because each time we mistreat someone, we know what we are doing and that it isn't right. But more often than not, we take no action to correct the damage we've done. So we put that on our account for our life review. Mm-hmm. Good way of putting it. Some say that the life review is so traumatic that the spiritual beings or our past loved ones or whoever's present have to comfort and encourage us by assuring us that this is a very necessary event and that we will make it through it. They also tell us that the life review is necessary not for punishment, but for forgiveness. And that forgiveness is for us to forgive ourselves. It is believed that we store up in our subconscious all of the hurtful actions that we've done towards other people. And when we take no action to correct that action, we do not attain self-forgiveness. So to obtain self-forgiveness, we must experience the hurt we dealt others. And that experience frees us from the guilt and shame. Okay, this is what got me all confused a minute ago. I want to read an excerpt from the book, The Gifts of Near-Death Experiences. Okay. It says, Consider the story of a former Nazi who hurt people in big ways by killing them in concentration camps. He had an NDE while he was in a coma. The coma lasted 48 hours, but he said it seemed to him that it was a lifetime. He was in a dark cave with other Nazis and Roman soldiers who had been responsible for mass killings. And after a while... He noticed a different part of the place where there was a light shining, and in there were people that he had killed. 
He wanted to ask their forgiveness, and he heard that he had already been forgiven, and that now he only needed to forgive himself. And he felt unable to do this, and so he was allowed to feel the pain and the suffering that he caused his victims. And afterward, all of these people who he had killed were comforting him. He said he was bathed in unconditional love, and it permeated his entire being. And then he awoke from his coma. Wow. If we think about, is it my turn? Yes. If we think about Jesus' teachings, uh, Jesus' teachings in light of our life review, we may better understand why his teachings were centered around how we treat other people and brings uh, life to his message of love and forgiveness. More than once, Jesus instructed his audience to love our neighbor as ourselves. If we think about it, there's a double meaning here. We often just concentrate on the part that tells us to love others, yet he instructed to love them as we love ourselves. So if if we have all this stored up energy of guilt and shame for our treatment of others, we really can't perform the first necessary part of this equation, and that's to love ourselves. That's true. The truth is, how we interact with other people is how we really feel about ourselves. Most of us carry around a boxcar load of unaddressed guilt and shame, and this puts us in a state of negative judgment of ourselves, and we project that judgment out on the people we interact with. We've been told that the way to eliminate this is ask God for forgiveness. The reality is that often we do this, but it doesn't relieve the burden of guilt and shame because we haven't forgiven ourselves. The fact that we remember the events and we relive the emotions attached to the encounter or event each time we remember it is proof that we haven't sufficiently dealt with the issue. And I am as guilty of of, you know, when you think about that moment that you hurt someone and you have all of that that feeling of everything tightened up. Yeah. And that's the whole point of it is. That's why we should never you know, Jesus said don't let the sun go down on a wrath. Right. He's talking about settle it quick. Because you put some energy out there and that energy is coming back. Right. Yes. So those of us who are products of the Christian religion have an especially difficult time with self-love and self-forgiveness. If we were brought up in the church, our subconscious has been bombarded with the message that we are nasty and sinful and there's no good in us. And the only way God can even stand our existence is that he took all his anger towards us out on his son, Jesus. And he has to look at us through Jesus. And of course, we are told that we must meet the church's criteria of salvation to offset this broken relationship between us and our creator. And we wonder why we're so unhappy. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, because we're just, we're trapped. Mm -hmm. We're trapped in, in that religion, in that religious way of thinking. And even after we meet the criteria for salvation, you know, the church's criteria, we're taught that we're still broken and that we're in constant need of correction and forgiveness, which is under the authority of what the organized church. Mm-hmm. In short, we live a life of feeling condemned. Even our best efforts are not satisfactory with God, we are told. You know, it seems like we may have strayed from our intended topic of the life review, but it's all still connected to it. The guilt and unforgiveness of others, as well as ourselves, will have to be dealt with in our life review. Everyone who has died and experienced this life review returns with a whole new outlook on life, and they deal very differently with other people. They also forgive others for the hurt they cause to them because they know it's a reflection of how they feel about themselves due to unaddressed guilt and shame, and having never mastered love and forgiveness, especially when it comes to themselves. 
And we don't know a lot about what happens after the life review and that we experience total forgiveness of ourselves and everyone that's hurt us because it seems that this is the point that most of those who return are instructed to do so. The interesting thing about those who return is that they often return with spiritual discernment and abilities that they either didn't have before or perhaps they had all along and didn't know how to access and utilize. Many come back and are still connected to both dimensions and still receive communication and instruction from beyond the veil. Now, again, we encourage you to watch, listen, or read what people like Dolores Cannon, the author of Between Death and Life, have to say about their research concerning what happens when we die. Now, YouTube uh, has many of her appearances and talks uh, uh, with audiences available. And Tabitha was telling me you think she died in 2014? I think that's what I read. In 2014? Yes. Uh, uh, Roberta Grimes has a book titled The Fun of Dying. It sounds odd, but it's really a good read. I've read it myself, which offers a lot of neat insight on what happens when we die. Roberta has had more than one death experience of her own. Before we end this segment, let us state that most of those who go through these stages of exiting the body, observing the beauty of the afterlife, <clears throat> excuse me, experiencing deceased friends, family, and pets, and having the life review, believe that they have spent hours in the afterlife only to return and find it's only been minutes in linear earth time. This is why most of them say there's no sense of elapsed time there. So next week, we hope to explore the theory that many have, and that is that we actually chose to be here and made a pact with others and laid out the experience we agreed to have right down to the way we would die. But until then, may God's unconditional grace, peace, and love be on in and radiate out from each of you, our fellow seekers, from all of us here at God Beyond the Bible. Did you enjoy listening to God Beyond the Bible? Do you have an idea for an episode? Connect with us today. Visit our website at godbeyondthebible.com, all one word, or send us an email at email at godbeyondthebible.com, or you can visit us on Facebook. Just type God Beyond the Bible into the search bar.